Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. You're live on the Talking Point and we continue the conversation this morning, particularly uh, looking at the vaccination of prisoners. Judge Edwin Cameron, he's an inspecting judge of the Judicial Inspectorate for Correctional Services. He joins us on the line. Judge Cameron, always a pleasure. Good morning to you. What a pleasure, Cathy, and to be speaking to you and all your SFM listeners. Uh, the last time that I had a conversation with you, I had wrongfully assumed you had gotten vaccinated. Has that changed any any bit since the last time we spoke? <laughs> Have you been uh, able to get your vaccine? Yes, as a as a sixties plus, I got uh, vaccinated three and a half weeks ago. I'm waiting with bated breath for number two because I got the Pfizer on the 2nd of August. Thanks for asking, Kathy. All right. Well, it certainly is good news. Judge Cameron, you are then advancing for vaccines not just to be limited to the criteria that government is putting out there, but you're emphasizing the message for why you believe it's important for prisoners to be part of the priority list. I think it's very important, and I'm really pleased and proud to say that I have the support not only of the minister, uh, Minister Lamola and of his Deputy Justice Minister, uh, um, Deputy Minister John Jeffrey, but also of Deputy Corrections Minister Patikila Holomisa and Korsi Holomisa. Uh, and the, the reason it's, it's well, I, I say uh, I have their support. They have my support because they are obviously the executive officials implementing this. And, Kathy, it, it's an important issue because a lot of people I think understandably find this counterintuitive. Uh, we are vaccinating prisoners before the rest of the population. They are in the priority group of those who have to receive vaccinations because they in what we call confined settings. Uh, but there are many, many powerful arguments why we have to do so. And the first of them is that we imprison prisoners but don't give them the death sentence. And COVID for too many prisoners across the world has meant a death sentence, and that's wrong. So that's the first one. We abolished the death sentence. Uh, one of the first hearings the Constitutional Court had at the, in February 1995 was about the death sentence. It said all 11 members unanimously, this is incompatible with our new constitutional order. So we have to vaccinate in prisons, particularly for the second reason, Cathy, which is that we take control away from prisoners. We imprison them. That is the sentence the courts impose on them. They lose their right to movement. They lose their right to determine what they're going to eat, who they're going to associate with. Uh, And in conditions of confinement, they can't say, I want an extra mask or I want to socially distance. Uh, They are uh, particularly for remand detainees. Mm. The conditions are often quite appalling. I I visited a cell in uh, Polsmoor a few years ago where there were up to 90 people in a cell made for 22. So these are gravely exposing and unsanitary and unhygienic conditions, which means that it's even more imperative to make sure that we get vaccines into the arms of all prisoners. And Judge Cameron, for for those people who sit and think, well, those who are behind bars are there for a reason, and uh, you know, as 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 a result, largely of their own consequences. Whereas ordinary South Africans, many of which would be part of the working class, um, 
they uh, you know, have to confront COVID on a day-to-day basis and they don't get any special preferences when it comes to um, when it comes to getting this vaccine and really the question of, of how moral it will be. I think it's a good point, Cathy, the, the one you've just made. And one can add to what you've just said that, uh, that working class and dispossessed, marginalized South Africans confront COVID often in very similar conditions to what we place prisoners in, overcrowding, poor sanitation. I mean, we see the pictures from, from the Western Cape in, amidst all those rains and, uh, and, and the Eastern Cape uh, because of, of service delivery issues. People are really in, in sanitary conditions and the, the exposure to COVID is excessive. So I don't deny the force of the point, but we have power to, uh, even so, I would, I would say that despite the fact that many South Africans are living in comparable conditions of overcrowding and lack of sanitation, it, the, the risk of exposure to COVID is even more extreme in prisons. And then we should also bear in mind that it's no good for us to vaccinate the personnel that we require to guard the prisoners uh, but not vaccinate the prisoners themselves. They come into contact with each other every day. And and a related reason, Cathy, is that we think that there's this lock them up and throw away the key mindset. Well, it's a falsely comforting thought because that's not how it works. Prisoners move in and out. They are in contact with correctional personnel. They have to go to court sometimes, not always, as we know uh, from this morning uh, in a famous trial. But uh, they also leave prison. They, they might be released on bail or be, they have their bail rescinded. So there's constant movement in and out of the prison walls, also by correctional staff who go home to their families mm-hmm. uh, every night or every morning. So all of this is just to say that the lock them up and throw away the key is a completely false comfort. What about those who have this perception, um, Judge Cameron, that prisoners have more rights than ordinary South Africans? And let me just uh, put that within its context. So often people will call in, and, and I remember that at the onset of, of this call being made, we had a lot of listeners actually respond to it and say, well, you know, you have people that are behind bars. They've committed crimes in society. They've hurt uh, people in society, and yet they're getting three meals a day. They've got beds to sleep on, and now they're, priori- they're in, priority, uh, in the priority queue for for the vaccines, and yet that is a far cry from what the most vulnerable in our society would be um, would be able to access. I think you're putting it very articulately, Cathy. And again, I don't brush off the point. I don't say, "Oh, stop it! You're all wrong." I think that there is substance in the point. But we have to understand. We have to go back just a tiny step first. Mm. We have to provide meals and shelter to those people whom we punish by taking away their liberty. So we have to. And we also have to provide them with health care. There was a famous decision rightly given by Judge Fritz Brunt when he was in the High Court in Cape Town more than 20 years ago at the start of the AIDS epidemic. He said to the prisons department, you've got to give people inside antiretrovirals. And he was right. So prisoners got ARVs before the rest of the country got them, and we're not even talking about the Mbeki era, 
this was in the Mandela era. So the principle that prisoners have to be given uh, what it takes to, in terms of survival uh, means, food, shelter, uh, clothing, and medications is, is, a, is a good sound pr- principle. But I want to go back a step, if I may, Kathy, mm. because we over-imprison in our country, and we're on the wrong track. I know that people are scared of crime. I'm scared of crime. I'm scared of violent crime. I ask audiences, how many of you have been affected by violent crime? A sea of hands goes up. I say, how many of you have been affected by violent crime in your own homes? Another sea of hands goes up. So I'm in touch with, with that issue also because of, of, of my own circumstances. But we are approaching it wrongly. Uh, we, we are over-imprisoning people. Minimum sentences don't work. Life sentences, sometimes people have to be locked away for long times. I don't deny that. Some people deserve long sentences. Some very dangerous people should never be released. But the overall approach to imprisonment, we imprison more people than any other African country. We are the 12th highest country in the world though nowhere near the 12th highest in terms of population, 12th highest in terms of prison population. And it was an overreaction by the early democratic government and the Johnny DeLonga chaired Parliamentary Justice Committee, but it put us on a terribly wrong track. So if I may take your point, Cathy, and and I'm, I'm grateful that you let me give this long answer, we are spending 10,000 rand a month on every prisoner. If you do a rough uh, mathematical breakdown of the number of prisoners in the total correctional budget, we should be spending that. Some people have to be locked up. I'm not denying that. But we should be spending it much more wisely on the social services and food and education mm-hmm. that other people lack. We will have billions if we rethink our carceral policies. Is is the high rate of imprisonment and incarceration not as a result or even a reflection of the high rate of crime in our society? You know, it's a beautiful question you ask, but my answer would be a humble no, because we have got 17,000 people who are serving life sentences versus 400 when we became a democracy in 1994. And yet we have now got evidence that only something like one in 20 of murders is actually followed up. I don't have the figure to hand while we're talking, Kathy. Mm. But the fact is that if, if we track down every single rapist and every single murderer and sentence them to appropriate sentences, not those we caught to life sentences as we are doing at the moment. So I'm arguing for differentiation. Efficacy of sentencing does not relate to its length. That's a hard thing to say, but it's one of the insights that criminologists and penologists have got all over the world. It doesn't help to sentence someone to 500 years in prison. Sometimes the only effective sentence might be seven years or 10 years. For those people who are uh, anxious about rape, let's rather use the resources to make sure that there's efficient, uh, compassionate follow-up to every rape complainant. 
we don't have to spend this money on sending a tiny minority of convicted rapists to jail for life. Mm. And so it's a hard yeah. debate, Cathy, and thank you for raising Yeah, that. You know, Judge Cameron, it's quite interesting what you're saying because the context of our country also matters, right? So you, 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 you've you spoken about the 17,000 odd that um, would be spending time behind bars for these very serious crimes. And yet on, in the same breath, there's an acknowledgement of the fact that our law enforcement has been incapable of actually bringing all of those who need to be bars to, to book. Uh, and so exactly. in, in an environment where law enforcement is so weak, Exactly. Every person that is taken behind bars um, becomes, of course, it becomes even more important that the law sends a strong message about the kind of crime that, that they commit. I think that's exactly right. And I think you're putting the, the, the point rightly. We, we have to beef up law enforcement. Our police services, I'm not a policeman, I'm not a policing specialist, but I'm a member of the public and I look at the chaos in the top ranks of the police. I look at the chaos in, in crime intelligence where uh, Police Commissioner Satorley has, has, has sought to dismiss uh, General uh, Jeremy Vieri. Uh, and th- there's chaos. What, whatever the rights and wrongs of it, and I have only provisional views, total chaos. Crime intelligence was gutted under former President Zuma, who appointed a person who's now been convicted of very serious crimes uh, to head it. Uh, there are reports, I haven't got the evidence before me, of criminal looting within crime intelligence instead of systematic, uh, uh, neighborhood-based, uh, community-friendly policing. So we, we, it, none of the, the good news about this, Cathy, is that none of this is irreparable. President Ramaphosa must step in. He must take charge of the, of the, the deep, deeply damaging chaos at the head of the police, and, and also at the head of police intelligence, we can do this properly. And it doesn't lie in sentencing a tiny minority of people to life imprisonment and then saying, good, we've done our job. We've not done our job. What about the communities where these people come from and even the victims of crimes? Um, we, you know, th- that have been touched and affected directly by the actions of these individuals. In as far as you know, a, a form of restorative justice is, is is concerned. Do you foresee a situation where communities are actually open to such an idea? Again, bearing in mind the gruesome nature in which serious crimes in this country actually take place. Kathy. Thank you for asking that. Let me get back to restorative justice in a moment, but I want to underscore the point you're making about community risk and exposure because our parole system is not working properly. It's not working properly at the top end with all the lifers because the the, the, the statute took away the power from the parole board and gave it to the minister. But we need to have an efficient, well-functioning, well-peopled parole system, which we don't have at the moment. So the result is that many people who should be released because they've been rehabilitated, reformed, they've acquired qualifications and skills in prison are still sitting inside. Conversely, some people who are released, and this is my point uh, to underscore the one you're making, go out again. We saw last year a man was released and and raped and killed a young girl in, in Cape Town. Horrifying. 
So I want to underscore your point, but I want to go back to your question, which is about reparative justice. First, there has to be punishment. Secondly, there has to be an embracing by the offender of the gravity of his crime. And I say his because 99% of violent offenders are males like me. This is a man thing. They have to embrace the horror of what they did, and then we can reach out on their behalf to the victims of the crime, the survivors of the crime, and to the community. We can do that much more efficiently. It will be a healing process. I'm not a do-good, naive uh, 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 person in this area, but simply it's much more effective to do that. And can I tag on a point which I want your listeners possibly just to, to give some thought to, Kathy? We have got many, many, many people in prison right at the moment with minimum sentences, 15-year minimums, for drug dealing. Now, drug dealing, especially in the Western Cape at, at colored townships, is a terrible problem. But it's a terrible problem because we criminalize it. By criminalizing it, we give power to the drug gangs and to the corrupt cops that General Vary said he was trying to deal with, and then he was removed from, from his office by General Setole. Portugal and other countries have abolished all criminal prohibitions against drug dealing. They say, let us deal with it, like cigarettes and alcohol. Alcohol is a terrible drug. Let us deal with these things and say heroin, tick, all these drugs are bad for you. Be careful about them, but don't give power to the drug syndicates and to the criminals and the police and the criminals on the ground. So there, there's a refreshing thought. We can do better. If I had my way, and I don't, I'm only inspecting judge, I would release non-violent drug offenders immediately. We would reduce uh, uh, overpopulation in our prisons. We would take a huge step forward from this totally misdirected war on drugs, which the United States uh, ideology of war on drugs imposed on us, and we should reject it. Judge Cameron, you're starting a conversation that we will need to unpack on another day because that's going to uh, have its own set of responses. Let me thank you so much for your time, Judge Edwin uh, Cameron, Inspecting Judge of the Judicial Inspectorate for Correctional Services there. It's just after 11 o'clock. Let me take you to the latest news update.